Well, amen. Thank you to our choir, to our youth drama team, to our praise team for lead us, leading us today in such a beautiful worship, remembering who our, who our God really is. And uh, today I want to talk to you, uh, the message is called Believe That You May Have Life, and it comes from the Gospel of John. Believe that you may have life. You know, it's, it's fascinating to me that in light of all the pledges and the, and the promises that have been made during Holy Week by people in uh, Europe as a whole to rebuild the burned Notre Dame Cathedral, that Another story has emerged that stands in stark contrast to all of of that. A a poll was conducted by BBC, the British uh, Broadcasting Corporation, and that poll said that only 26% of people in uh, Europe say that they believed that Jesus died and rose from the dead. And further, they showed that among the small percentage now of people in Europe who call themselves believers, call themselves Christians, that less than half, 46% say that they believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead. And in the article... There were a couple of pastors that were talking about the fact that you don't really even have to believe all the Christmas or the Easter story in order to be a Christian. You need to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, I want to tell you that as we look at the Gospel of John, it is absolutely clear that you must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him, you may have life. That is absolutely clear. Now, people have always been fascinated with the idea of eternal life. I mean, uh, it's just just a part of us. As, As Solomon tells us, God has placed eternity in our hearts. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible thing that God has done. Um, you know, there's just something, some birds, that longs for immortality. I, I was watching some birds this uh, week out my window building a nest. Nobody has to tell those birds how to build a nest. It's built into them. Nobody has to tell a bee how to make honey. It's innate to them. And you see, just as the the structure of a fish implies water and the structure of a bird implies air, when you look at the the nature, the makeup of human beings, it implies immortality because everything in us cries out that this cannot be all, that there must be more to this life than what we have seen. And this is part of the, the fascination with the, with, the, with the concept of resurrection. If you think about it, there are some good reasons why, from a human perspective, that there must be life after death. Think about these reasons. First of all, life is unjust. Uh, in this life, the wicked often succeed and the righteous suffer. Uh, oftentimes, good goes unrewarded and evil goes unpunished. Oftentimes, people embrace falsehood and reject truth. Uh, As one writer put it, uh, Nero is on the throne and Paul is in the dungeon and something is wrong. Think about all of the crimes throughout history that have gone unpunished. All the thefts and robberies and swindles and embezzlements. Think about all the times that people have taken advantage of the weak and the vulnerable. All the assaults and the beatings and the, and the forced servitude. 
whether it be outright slavery or prostitution or child labor, the abuse, abortions, rapes, murders, all the Jack the Rippers that have never been brought to justice, all the times that the Hitlers and the Stalins and the Maos who are responsible for killing of millions of people never brought to justice wrongs too numerable to name. But there's a principle in the Bible, and it says this, For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And friends, if it's not in this life, then it's in the life to come. There will be justice in the resurrection. But there are some other things that just really, you know, it, 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 we struggle with it. Because there's something in us that wants to make right all the wrongs in the world. And we, so we look to eternity for a making things right. Life is not only unjust, it's, un, it's un, unfinished. Uh, it, think about how many things have been left incomplete, undone. Think about all the children that have died and never experienced the wonder of life. I mean, think about all the um, people who have, were blind have never seen. People who are deaf have never heard. The lame who have never walked. All those kinds of things. And, you know, how I would have loved for my mother to have been able to see her grandchildren grow up. To see them do the things that they do. To sing and to play uh, sports or uh, music or do their art or whatever, you know. To, but there's so many things that are left undone and incomplete. So many dreams unfulfilled. Aspirations fallen short. And so people say, you know, there must be something more. Life is unjust, it's unfinished, and it's, and it's unsatisfying. You know, God doesn't put us here on the earth and he say, you know, okay, everybody, go, go after it. I mean, you better get all the pleasure that you can because when it's done, that's it. He didn't, he didn't say that to us. So, I mean, there are pleasures in this world, but listen, they will never satisfy us. And the truth is, is that from the richest to the poorest, every person in this world has their own particular brand of struggles and worries and concerns and difficulties, and, and it's a constant uh, disappointment. One of the greatest illusions of this life is that we have the potential to fulfill our dreams, you know, we're told that over and over and over. But friends, no matter how much we achieve, there is always something lacking. It's always unfinished. It's always unsatisfying and unfulfilling. You know, that's what the midlife crisis is all about. You know, people come to the realization that, boy, I'm really not getting out of life what I thought I was going to get. And there comes this kind of panic that I've got I've to get in some more pleasure. I've got to get some more experiences in my life. Frustration cries out, there must be more. And unfortunately, though our hearts cry out for eternity, we have this tendency to look to this world for our justice, for our fulfillment, for our satisfaction, for our completion. We look to, the, to this world. But this life is unjust. It, it's unfinished. It's unsatisfying. That's the bad news. But the good news is, is that there is a life that is just, that is fair, that is fulfilling, that is satisfying, and God calls that eternal life. Understand, eternal life is more than simply unending life. It is a quality of life that is totally fulfilling and complete. And this morning, I, I want to share with you why and how you can have eternal life. This, is, this glorious news, as I said earlier, is taken directly from the Gospel of John. And we're going to take a kind of a jet tour through uh, the Gospel of John, several chapters here. And I just want you to, to follow along as we read the Scripture. Let Scripture speak for itself. There is an outline in your bulletin that will help you in following along if you'd like. 
And uh, think about what Jesus says. We're going to start at the end and kind of take John's summary. He says in John chapter 20 and verse 30, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, this book is about eternal life. The purpose of this book is to tell us how we can have eternal life. And the only way that you can have eternal life is by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and turning to him in faith, he will give you eternal life. Now, there are many signs and miracles that are recorded in this book that help us to believe that, to support that. And, uh, but the greatest sign, without doubt, is that of the resurrection. It's the greatest proof that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And it, it, death, you know, takes life. It destroys but life uh, uh, gives, uh, resurrection gives life and gives hope. And this is a wonderful thing that we have. And so you can believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you can have eternal life. Because Jesus says in John eleven twenty five, he says, I, uh, he who believes in me will live even if he dies. So I want to give you four reasons from the Gospel of John why you can believe Jesus for eternal life. First of all, you can believe Jesus for eternal life because he promises resurrection. Now, we're going to start in chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who were selling oxen and sheep and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. And he made a scourge of cords and drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who were selling doves, he said, take these things away. Stop making my father's house a place of business. So let's kind of set the scene. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem for the first time since he has begun his public ministry. And he's announcing to everyone that he is indeed the Messiah. And when he comes, he goes immediately to the temple as the prophets predicted that he was, that he would. And when he does, he is angry at what he sees. He sees the religious leaders using their positions to take advantage of the people, selling sacrificial animals at outrageous prices and charging this huge interest to exchange money into temple currency. And so Jesus confronts them, and boy, they are really angry about it. So this is the busiest time of year for them. It would be like closing down the mall a week before Christmas. And they're really upset. And so they ask him in verse 18, they say, what sign do you show us uh, your, uh, your authority for doing this? What, what, what authority do you have for doing this? You better have a good answer. And so we hear Jesus promises resurrection as a demonstration of his authority. It says in verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Verse 20, the Jews said, uh, the Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Jesus is speaking about his bodily resurrection. What a sign. You want to know if I'm God? Well, then kill me, and three days later, I'll come out of the grave. That's an incredible promise, and that's an incredible authority, isn't it? No one in the history of the world has ever claimed that they will come out of their grave bodily. Do you understand that? Nobody in the history of the world has ever made that claim. Jesus is the only one. And Christianity is the only religion in the world that is founded on that promise of it that Jesus will come out of the grave. It's the only sign that Jesus ever promised. In Matthew 16, 4, he says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks 
after a sign. And a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. What do you mean? Well, as Jonah was in three days in the belly of the fish and then was spit out, so Jesus will be three days in the grave and then he will be raised from the dead. Jesus says, I have power over death. Now, that is authority. But Jesus also promised uh, resurrection as a validation of his word. It says in verse 22, so when he was raised from the dead... His disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. So, you see, you can trust Jesus for eternal life because he has demonstrated his authority and he has validated his word. He did exactly what he said he would do. So that means that you can trust him when he says to you that if you will believe in him, he will give you eternal life. And that's uh, reinforced for us in chapter 5 and verse 21. It says, for, for just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Jesus not only has the power to raise himself, he has the authority to raise you. And he says, I will raise you if you believe in me. And verse 24 continues, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word. Now, how do we find out about this authority? Through his word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of of death into life. Man, there's his word. So you thought I saw his authority and there is his word. And notice that all of us, All of us are already under judgment. And we only come out of judgment and out of death into life when we believe on Jesus. That is the default condition of every human being. We are condemned under judgment. And that's why God came and sent his son. And that's why he rose from the dead to allow us to come out from under that judgment and death. So you can believe in Jesus for eternal life because he promised resurrection. But he also proves resurrection. Uh, Jesus knew that he was going to die and be raised. But he also knew that his disciples weren't so sure about it. And so in John 10, verse 18... He says, I have authority to lay down my life, and I have authority to take it up again. There's that authority again, that power. The disciples had seen Jesus do some incredible things, still a storm, cast out demons, all those kind of things, but they had never seen his power over death. And so he, he says, I'm going to demonstrate my power for you, and he demonstrates it on a close friend of his named Lazarus. Lazarus had been dead for four days. And Jesus intentionally waited when he heard about this so that when he arrived, there would be absolutely no question that this man was dead. And it's, it's here that Jesus proves resurrection as an aid to belief. In verse chapter 11 and verse 14, it says, So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now, why did he say this? So that you may believe. Verse 41, so they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you, you have heard me. Verse 42, I knew that you always hear me because of the people standing around. I said it, why? So that they may believe that you sent me. Do you get this picture? Jesus is doing this so that the disciples may believe that he's the son of God. So that the people around there in Bethany would believe that he's the son of God. And Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead so that you would believe that he is the son of God. That he is the Christ and that he is the resurrection. And so Jesus proves resurrection also as a, as a, as a response to grief. And look at this in verse 32. Therefore, when Mary 
came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now both Mary and Martha have this conversation with Jesus. In verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. Now that word deeply moved is a word that literally means that Jesus was shuddering inside. When was the last time you were so upset that you literally shuddered on the inside? This is a deep emotional response that Jesus is having. And why was Jesus having such a response? I'll tell you why. Because he was standing face to face with the ultimate consequence of sin, which is death. See, and it broke his heart. He loved Lazarus. They were close friends. I mean, he, he had stayed with this family. And, and, and he could see the pain and the agony and the wrenching separation that death brings. Death is the ultimate consequence of sin. And nobody hates death more than God. And Jesus also began to realize his coming struggle with our sin on the cross. Because he's going to take all of that sin on himself when he gets there. In verse 34, it says, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Now that sounds very calm. But literally, in the original language, it means that, that Jesus broke out in a burst of tears. He's moaning. He's wailing. This is a real boo-hoo crying. This is not a, a little tear that you wipe off your cheek. This is the, the deepest kind of response that you ever get from God. A weeping. And why is he weeping? He's weeping over our sin. He's weeping over the the lost humanity all around him that are going to face that judgment because of sin and death. He's He's not weeping over Lazarus because he knows he is going to raise him from the dead. He's weeping over the lostness of humanity. And the consequences of sin. And Jesus says in verse 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all, in which all, in which all, who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Again, you see God's justice there? Hear, Hear me carefully. Every person in this room is going to hear Jesus Christ say, come forth. And when you do, you are either going to come forth to life, eternal life, or you are going to come forth to judgment, eternal judgment. Everybody in this room. This is Jesus' response to those who are headed to eternal damnation. God weeps over your lostness. It breaks his heart. It broke his heart so much. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's God. And friends, you can, you can believe Jesus is the resurrection and you can have eternal life. So Jesus also proves resurrection as a preview to glory. 
I love this. Verse 39, Jesus said, remove the stone. And Martha, the sister of the sea, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be a stench for he's been dead for four days. I mean, it's like she thinks he wants to have like some kind of final farewell. She says, Lord, listen, he's been there for four days. He's already decaying. There's going to be a stench. But Jesus says in verse 40, did I say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now, literally, he, he cries out at the top of his lungs, Lazarus, come forth. And that moment literally is, is the, the impact of that moment is, is staggering to realize that in that moment, a man who has been dead for four days raises up and walks out of that tomb. Who has that power? Nobody but God. You see, who walks up to a tomb and yells for a dead person to come out? Only somebody that's a lunatic or or grief-stricken or somebody that is incredibly confident of themselves. And he walks up to that and he says, come out. And boy, Lazarus comes out. It says, verse 44, the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around the cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. They're so, so amazed, they're so dumbfounded. They're standing there with their mouths open. And Jesus has to tell them, listen, unwrap a guy. Let him out. That's a preview of what's going to happen in your life when Jesus says, come forth. Can you, can you comprehend that? Not really, can we? Because when he says come forth, you will come out of the grave bodily. Doesn't matter what's happened to your body over the years, you will come out of that grave bodily and you will stand before him. And if you have believed, you will have eternal life. Life forever and ever. And a quality of life. But friend, if you've not believed, if you have not believed, there is nothing to do. I believe God just has to turn away and weep. You can believe Jesus for eternal life because he personifies resurrection. You know, the great climax of resurrection is when Jesus raises himself from the dead, when he comes out of the grave. And we go to chapter 20 at this point and pick up in verse 1. And it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. Verse 3, so Peter and the other disciples went forth and, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together and the, and the other disciples ran faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Verse 6, and so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And so the other disciple who had come first to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. Now the other disciple was John. What did he believe? Well, he believed that Jesus died and rose from the dead. That this resurrected Jesus later appears to Peter and John and the other disciples at least three separate occasions. And then he appears to some others, and he appears to over 500 people at one time. The the, the evidence is overwhelming. Jesus personified the resurrection when he came out of the tomb. And he set in motion a a movement that has never stopped. That's what we've been studying about in the book of Acts. We shall prevail. Uh, The the church has existed for over 2,000 years now, and there are millions of us all over the planet who continue to worship the resurrected Christ. And Jesus conquered death. He's victorious 
over the grave. And Jesus says in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. He personifies resurrection. Resurrection has a name. It's Jesus. He is life. He is resurrection. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now that's the question God is asking you today. Do you believe this? Now most of Europe doesn't believe that. But what about you? Do you believe this? Well, Jesus is the personification of resurrection. And if you receive him by faith, he will give you eternal life. Jesus promises it, he proves it, and he personifies it. And listen, finally, Jesus, you can believe Jesus for eternal life because he personalizes resurrection. Now, when I say personalizes, I mean he makes the resurrection real to us personally. In other words, there there comes a time in our life when resurrection is no longer just a concept or an idea that maybe we intellectually accept, but there comes a time in our lives when we personally receive that truth and we say to God, you are my life. You're my Lord. You're my God. It becomes personal. And you see, Jesus pers- uh, personalizes resurrection to people who are despairing. It tells us in verse 11 of chapter 20, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she, she, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And, and she saw two angels in white standing, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And, and they said to her, woman, why, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And, and when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, uh, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will come take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary? And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but must go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now get the picture here. Mary is despairing. She's not expecting to see Jesus. From her perspective, her whole world has just fallen apart. She's lost this dearly loved friend, Jesus. And she doesn't even recognize that it is Jesus until he speaks her name. But when he speaks her name, she turns and she looks at him and she realizes in that moment, it's Jesus. And he is alive. He's the resurrection. It became personal to her in that moment. He's my Savior. He's my resurrection. It's an incredible moment. Let me ask you, are you despairing in your life right now? Are you facing some tragedy in your life? Things just don't seem to be working out the way that you hoped that they would work out? Are you grieving over the circumstances in which you find yourself? Life seems unfair. It seems unfinished, unsatisfying. There's this emptiness. You've been trying all these things, but nothing really fulfills. What Jesus says is calling out your name today. Jesus says, speaks your name. And he wants you to turn and look and see that he is 
the resurrection. That he is salvation. That he is hope. That he is eternal life. And if you'll do that, if you'll do that, you can have real eternal life. Jesus personalizes resurrection to the discouraged. In verse 19, it says, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, when the, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and he said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his, both his hands and his side. And the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Now when Jesus was arrested and crucified, the disciples were terrified. They, they went and they hid and secluded themselves. They were living in isolation. And Jesus then comes to them in their, in their fear. They've lost their courage. They are discouraged. And Jesus comes to them and he says, peace be with you. Some of us would really like to have some peace this morning. Some lasting peace. Something that goes beyond the moment. Peace. And he shows them his wounds. And you know what happened? There was a moment. There was a moment when they realized it's really Jesus. And he really is alive from the grave. He really is the resurrection. He really does have eternal life. And you know what happened? They began to rejoice. That's what happens when you come to realize that even if you die, you'll live. You're alive. He's alive. And they're rejoicing. And you know what Jesus says now? Listen, because because you've come to this realization, you know what I'm going to do? I, I, I'm now, I'm sending you out to tell this story to other people. Those disciples wouldn't have done that before. If they had stolen his body, they wouldn't have thought of a thing about that. But now he's saying, listen, I'm going to send you out and then, because you don't have, you're not discouraged anymore. You're not fearful anymore because you know that you live no matter what. And listen, Jesus personifies resurrection to the doubting. Oh, this is, this is, boy, this relates to a lot of us. Verse 24, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, that means twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and imprints and nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand on his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them and Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here with your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. You hear Jesus saying that to you today? Do not be unbelieving but be believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas said, he doubted. He said, it's not real to me. I I have to see it to believe it. And then Jesus comes in, says, Thomas, put put your finger into my wounds. And then there was this, this moment when all of a sudden it became real to Thomas. It's really Jesus. He's really alive. He really has eternal life. And he says, my Lord, my Lord, my Savior, my God. Personal. Friends, it always has to be personal. You have to believe. You can't take it from your grandmother, your grandfather, your parents, or anybody else you know. You must believe. It must be personal. 
Do you find yourself doubting this morning? I mean, you just hear all this stuff. It's coming at you. The media just rolls over you. All of these documentaries about how the world evolved and all these scientists with these names on it. Boy, you just, could this really be real? Could it be true? What about this God thing? I mean, is there really a resurrection? Is there really life after death? What's really going to happen? Do you find yourself doubting? Do you, do you find yourself saying, I just don't know if I can believe that? Well, listen, the moment that you turn to Jesus, something's going to happen. The moment you believe, all of a sudden, the light's going to come on and Jesus is going to give you an incredible understanding so that you will say, my Lord and my God. And you will know in a moment that you surrender to him, that's true. And, and finally, we see that Jesus personif- or personalizes excuse me, resurrection to the discerning. That's in verses 29 through 31. In verse 29, Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. Now, Jesus says to Thomas, Thomas, you have had the opportunity to take your finger and stick it in my wounds. But they're going, to become a, they're going to become a whole lot of people after you that never have that opportunity. They're not even going to live in the same generation as you. But there are going to be a lot of people that are going to believe anyway. And blessed are those people. You say, why are they going to believe? Why? Because Jesus has promised resurrection. How did he promise it? Because Jesus has proved resurrection. How did he prove it? Jesus personifies resurrection. How did he personify? Jesus personalizes resurrection. How did he do it? Well, we go right back to our first scripture. These things were written that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Right? And that believing you may have life in his name. Are you discerning? Listen, you can believe that Jesus will give you eternal life because he's the resurrection and the life. And he stands in our midst this morning and he says to us, be not unbelieving, but believing. Is there a longing heart here this morning? I would say there is. Are you longing for immortality? Is there a desire for justice, for completion, for satisfaction? Then you must trust Jesus Christ because he is the resurrection and the life. And the only way that you can have eternal life is by believing in Jesus Christ. Richard Dawkins is the author of The God Delusion. Now that title tells you a lot. Dawkins is a former um, a professor of, uh, of uh, understanding of science at Oxford University. And he once debated uh, Richard Lennox, who is a professor of mathematics at Oxford University. And the debate was over the existence of God. At one point in the, de- in the debate, Dawkins says this of Lennox. He says, quote, He believes that the creator of the universe, the God who devised the laws of physics, the laws of mathematics, the physical constants, that this genius of mathematics and physical science could not think of a better way to rid the world of sin than to come into this little speck of cosmic dust and have himself tortured and executed so that he could forgive. And that, Dawkins says, is profoundly unscientific. Not only is it unscientific, but it doesn't do justice to the grandeur of the universe. Why would God bother entering into our small and broken planet? 
And then Dawkins chided Lennox and all Christians who believe in that kind of God. But listen, friends, Dawkins left out one critical element. Yes, Jesus came into this world and he was tortured and he did die. But that was not the end. Because Jesus also rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, God gave him a name that is above all other names. And at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Every tongue under he- in, he- in heaven, on, on the earth, and under the earth is going to confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. He not only is going to do that, but he is going to take this world that Dawkins clings to, this world that is unjust, unfinished, and unsatisfying, he's going to take that world and he is going to destroy it and he's going to create a new world, a glorious new world for us to live and we are going to live with him with eternal life forever and ever. And Jesus Christ will always be at the center of the glory, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the glory of the universe. He's alive and he reigns. And the question is, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead? Those are facts. My question is, has it become personal to you? Have you come to a place in your life where you say, my Lord and my God, where you surrender all that you are to this God? And it's when you surrender your life to him that he gives you his life in place of yours. It's an exchange. He gives you eternal life. And it takes believing in order to accomplish that. And if you believe, you can have eternal life. You can say, God, I'm, I'm turning my back on all that I put my hope in. The, the justice of this world, the rights of this world. I, I'm turning my back on on all the fulfillment, the, the pleasures that I've, I've looked for and sought in this world. I, I'm, all the incompleteness of life, I'm turning my back on those things and I'm putting my trust in you to give me the fullness of all of those things. That's called eternal life. Do you believe that he will do that? If you do, you can be saved today. And it's simply a response of your heart to God. That's all it is. It's a response of your heart to God. It says, I believe. I I surrender. If you do that, you can have eternal life. I want to ask you to respond to God this morning. Everybody does. Whether you do it outwardly or not, you're responding in some way. I'm going to ask you to reach to the chair in front of you. I want you to pull out this little green slip here, if you would. It says, my response on the top. And I want to encourage everyone in the room, if you would. If you're, if you're on the front row, there's one under your seat. You should be able to find that. And this is your opportunity to respond to God. Simply and very simply to do so. And here's what we're, here are the possibilities. First of all, you say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And I'm confident that I already have eternal life. I profess my faith by being baptized, by immersion. And today I just rejoice in the hope of the resurrection. So, and there are a lot of us here this morning where you can check that and you can just rejoice in it because it's become personal to you. And maybe you want to go down to the bottom and maybe you want to just take some time and start writing out a, a praise to God, a thanksgiving to him. Maybe you just want to respond to him. And what I'm going to ask you to do is we're going to bring these uh, uh, trays around and I'm going to give you an opportunity to just place it as an offering to God today. This is your response. Some of you say, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ. I, I, I know that I'm, I'm really a Christian 
but, but I've never been obedient. I, I've never professed my faith in him by being baptized. And today, I want to do that because I know that baptism is one of those ways that I declare Jesus because it's a picture of his death, of his burial, and of his resurrection. And so I just want, I want, to, I want to honor, I want to glorify Jesus today by just scheduling my baptism. And if you check that, why don't you put, would you put your name? Everybody would put your name on that would be great. And then give me your preferred contact, whether it's a phone number or an email address. Just give me some way of getting a hold of you so we can schedule that. And then third, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and today I am trusting him for eternal life. And I want to be obedient by being baptized. There's some of you today that need to check that that box and begin actively by checking that box you're showing you're demonstrating your faith that you really believe and some of you are saying you know uh, I mean I heard a lot today it was makes me think but I, I really can't honestly commit today I'm still considering Jesus claim and I, I need to think about it a little more as you put your name on there, I'll pray for you. I promise I'll pray for you. Uh, yesterday, I went around and I prayed over every single chair in this room. Where you're sitting today, I, I prayed for you. I prayed God would meet your need. God would do a work in your heart. That God would give you what you really need today. And if you put your name on there, I promise you I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you with, with my heart for that need. And you, you check whatever box you think you need to check today. Put your name on there and give me a contact. And, and in just a moment, I'm going to ask our ushers to, um, to pick those up. Before we do, I'm going to ask you, Ms. Terry's going to begin to play, and we're just going to have a moment here of silence before our God. And I want you to honestly evaluate yourself before him. Lord, which one of these am I? Where am I? Show me. Show me, Lord, where I am. Show me what I honestly need to check today. Help me to be obedient to you. All some of us are just rejoicing that we know we have eternal life.